everyone. Welcome to the show Off the Record. I'm Aram Nukumuf, the host. Thanks for tuning in. On the show, I'm interviewing well-known CEOs and VCs about how to spend the money you raise effectively and what mistakes to avoid. My guests have been in the trenches and have lots of practical advice to share with, with, with everybody on company stories, good and bad, failure successes. As, as a founder, you'll hear what you can do better when raising money and after you have raised the money, all in a 30-minute conversation. And if you happen to be a VC, you're also in the right spot because you're going to get to hear from your peers. Uh, this is episode number nine, and I'm here with Nishant Sanjavi from Energy X Solutions, Inc. Quick bio on Nishant. Nishant is the co-founder and CEO of Energy X. It's a high growth startup with offices in Toronto and Halifax that has successfully raised millions of dollars in financing and posted 100% growth year after year. Prior to filing, Prior to founding the company, Nishant was leading global business development and marketing teams across North America and Europe. Nishant, awesome to have you on our growing podcast, Off the Record. Thank you so much for uh, uh, for giving us some time. Aram, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for those kind words and congrats on this podcast, number nine. So you're, you're, you're starting it up, you're going to scale it and excited to be part of it. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks again. Um, so let me start off with the first uh, point. I noticed that both you and I have three kids who are actually the, the same age, seven. Well, mine are seven, six, and one. I think yours are seven, six, and two. Is that right? Yeah, actually, actually eight, seven, and three. But oh. who keeps count anymore? <laughs> yeah, it's all a blur, right? Um, so I know you... Um, I know you initially were, um, well, for a while you were living in Amsterdam, is that right? Yeah, I was. I was actually living all across the Netherlands. Uh, so started in Utrecht and then moved to Amsterdam and then moved to The Hague, then to Zutzemir, uh, and then ended up buying a house and living in Leiden. Um, but yeah, oh. six years and, and special times, right? Met my wife there. Okay. Uh, had two of my kids there, uh, met my co-founder and business partner there. And so uh, a, a lot of great memories and a lot of change in those six years that sort of shaped the next phase of my life. Right, right. And where was EnergyX uh, founded or established? Was it in Europe or was it uh, here in Canada? Yeah, so, so formally incorporated, uh, established, commercialized, funded all in Toronto, all in North America. Um, but, you know, I, I met my co-founder in, in Netherlands. We were working together and, and he comes from a very strong technical product background. And I've always been very strong on sales, business development, marketing. And, and, and we were in the energy efficiency space and world. So conceptually, I, ideology wise, I think we had, we had discussed this uh, over, over many, many weekends and evenings and nights uh, in terms of what we wanted to build and what we wanted to do. Uh, and then when I relocated back to Toronto uh, in 2015, uh, we, we wanted to start seeing if we could put it into action. So, yeah, I think, I think the business itself, very much Toronto, uh, but the idea and, and, and the framing of it was done uh, with Alex and myself when we were in the Netherlands. You have a very interesting like, business. I, you know, I had a chance to go through it. Can you tell us a little bit about it? And then tell me also why you decided to build the company in Canada instead of in Europe. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I always like to start this by walking through, you know, why we do what we do. And I think that's so important for startups because many of us are mission driven. Otherwise, we wouldn't be crazy enough to, mm. to, to, to go through a startup because you're, you're literally running um, a sprint, uh, but you're doing it uh, in a timeline of a marathon. So you're constantly sprinting. Um, so I really like to start about the why and, and what drives us. And so, you know, the mission for Energy X, what we're living and what we're breathing and we're really focused on is, is to be able to provide every building around the world with a very personalized and relevant energy savings plan so they can take action towards energy efficiency. In a nutshell, our focus is to make energy decisions easy. And, and from a technology innovation wise, everything we're doing is really pushing the dial to make that happen. Right. So if I go back to why we conceptualize this business, it was it was based on three fundamental principles. And, and I really like to bring that up because as we bring new co-workers into the mix, there's around 25 of us now across two offices and we're continuing to grow. These three principles really become the ethos of, of why we exist and then really look for that along in, in everyone we bring uh, um, to work with us, including our investors. The three principles, the first is, you know, our, our fundamental belief that energy efficiency conservation is the most effective way for us to hit our climate change goals. Yeah. Uh, the second is when we believe that when you inform uh, people about information about their buildings, about their homes, about their businesses, they generally tend to make smart decisions and take action. Um, and the last uh, principle we believe is when you uh, inform utilities, that's our primary customers, about uh, ways in which they can empower their customers to become energy efficient, you're enabling utilities to have a trusted relationship with those customers. And you're enabling them to really add value above and beyond providing commodity. Mm -hmm. Those are the three principles, the three truths that we've built this company on. Um, so to your question, what do we do? What problem we solve? Well, we, pro we solve problems on the customer side, which is people like you and I, and on the utility side. On the customer side, for people like you and I, uh, and it's a global problem, high energy bills, how hydro bills, you know, how do you save? How do you, what can you do around your home? What can you do around your business to really lower those energy costs, uh, which become incremental uh, depending on where you are around the world. And then on the utility side, we know utilities around the world are running energy efficiency programs. And so to that effect, our technology really helps them uh, increase participation in those programs. And in doing so, they help homes and businesses lower energy and save money. Mm -hmm. so that's essentially what the business does. Okay, wow, very interesting. And I think that was the first part of your question, yeah. right? Yeah. Your second part of the question is why Toronto yeah. as opposed to the Netherlands or Europe? Yeah. And you live in Europe now, you're in Barcelona. so. Right. so and, and, and you're running your own startup. So perhaps you can speak to this as much as I can. My analogy around it is Europe is fantastic for innovation. If you look at uh, companies around Europe, if you look at Philips, which is a Dutch company, amazing technology, always focused on pushing the dial with regards to really building great tech. Mm -hmm. Where North America excels at is commercializing that tech and bringing it to market. Yeah. We've also found funding uh, in North America to be much more accessible for startups like ours, especially clean tech startups. And so, you know, we were, we had the best of both worlds. We were able to hone our ability in the Netherlands. We were able to understand energy conservation energy, understand energy management. And, and then, and, and, and the European market is really ahead in terms of that kind of line of thinking. 
But yeah. we were then able to come back to North America, fully commercialize our technology, go to market, raise close to $5 million in dilutive, non-dilutive funding, generate yeah. revenue, work with 16 utilities across North America. And ironically, to your point, around we're now going back to Europe and licensing our technology to European utilities. And we're starting to speak to strategic investors in Europe. To, to, to become part of the Energy X investment family. Mm. So it's been a 360 for us. Mm. Very interesting. That's, uh, I, can see, I can see the rationale to, to potentially now go back to Europe. And there's a lot of I think, strategic investors in the clean tech sector um, across Europe. So it's a good opportunity. I think you, you figured out the model. You, you go and you commercialize it, make it work in North America, and then now expand it elsewhere. So that's very interesting. Um, you mentioned about the, the funding side. I'd love to kind of learn more in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned you raised five million funding over a few different rounds, dilutive and non-dilutive. Kind of like what stood out in the whole process for you? Like how did you go about doing it? How did you figure out your allocations of that kind of spend? Um, can, can you share some light about like that whole process for you and like how yeah. it played out? Yeah, and perhaps I can divide that into two buckets. Uh, the first bucket is how we about went about doing it and then walk through that story. And then the second bucket is, well, what do you do once you've done it? Yeah. Exactly. Which is a whole different ballgame to begin with. Yeah. Right? So maybe we start with uh, how, do we do, how do we do it? And, and, and every story is very personal. I, I think we got very lucky. We got very fortunate in our fundraising activities. Uh, we know the space really well. I come from a utility background. I've sold technology to utilities for more than a decade. My co-founder, Alex, comes from a utility background. He's helped design projects and really understands the clean tech energy efficiency space as well. And so we knew we had a lot of industry contacts to begin with. Um, once we had the business idea and once we had the business plan, my pure focus was to go ahead and speak to utilities around North America to validate the idea. Because the whole idea, the whole point is how do you de-risk the business? And you can de-risk the business if you can convince investors that you have a technology that is willing to be licensed and adopted by the market you're going after, in our case, which was utilities. So once we felt we had a, a list of customers out there that were willing to go ahead and do pilots with us and, will, and, will, and then give us a thumbs up uh, because they really resonated with the tech, then we had to go back and say, well, now we just have to build it. And that's when we really started going out to investors and saying, well, you know, here's a list of customers that we know will do pilots with us. Here's the sign letter of intent that they're ready to go. This is what we need to make that happen. And this is why we need to raise this money so that we can make that happen, which will then lead to sales. So the more you de-risk, the greater your chances of actually getting that initial investment. We also knew we wanted to get pre-seed. We decided to get pre-seed as opposed to bootstrap because we knew uh, in building a product, especially an enterprise product that you do require uh, a certain amount of money to come in and and both Alex and I having young families were not in a position to bootstrap and so knowing that we were very strategic on who we wanted to go speak to it took us two months and again this is a, this is an abnormal story it doesn't doesn't normally flow like that it took us two months to raise our first pre-seed round of four hundred thousand uh, dollars and and get started um, and that's what we did with Preseed. Once we were able to establish uh, a working product, get our pilots with the utilities and really start generating revenue. Uh, the second thing we did, which I thought was also very strategic, 
uh, now I can say strategic, at that point it just happened, we started joining some really well-known accelerators. So we were part of Elspark in Ottawa, and Elspark really taught us about growing your SaaS business, growing your SaaS business model. And that allowed us to generate reoccurring revenue. Uh, we joined the Creative Destruction Lab, which is a fantastic accelerator because they put you in front of investors all across Canada. And, and they go through a number of different stages and we passed through the entire, I think seven or eight rounds and graduated. And that's where we met a seed investor. Yeah, no, I'm right? familiar with both of them. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, and then we joined the DMZ. And, and, and the, the day we joined the DNZ, I think we had a meeting with one of the investors that was actually just looking at the new cohorts. And that was an investor that joined our round a, few, yeah. a couple of months after. So they yeah. just joined our seed round a few months after because they really liked what we were doing. And so the DMZ and, 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 and CDL, Creative District Lab, helped us meet our investors. Elspark helped us understand how to scale the model and, and how to really create a SaaS business. Um, and that's, that's how we essentially raised uh, the, the, the dilutive. The non-dilutive came with the BDC. And again, we were at a stage where we were generating enough revenue that we felt uh, we didn't want to give up equity. As, as, as you grow your business, you realize equity is the highest cost of capital you can give up. And so if you have an opportunity not to give it up, but yet raise capital so you can grow exponentially, leverage that. We will leverage that as well. Uh, and now we are part of the Canadian Technology Accelerator. It's, it's run by the, uh, the Canadian Trade Commissioners. It's a fantastic accelerator program, really looking at the best that clean tech SaaS. And they've connected us to some strategic investors in Silicon Valley, in Boston, Colorado, as we start thinking about the next raise is going to look like. So that's really been our road to meeting investors and, and, and proving ourselves as a credible business to invest in. Your second point, sorry. So I have a question on that. How, yeah. when you were going through and finding these investors throughout this process, specifically on the dilutive ones, how did you know that they were the right ones to um, get capital from? Because sometimes, you know, some people say it's like, when you're, when you're going and you're speaking to a VC or an investor, you know, sometimes it's not just about the capital. It's, there's a bit more to it. What, how did you find these, this kind of right fit there? Listen, I think, I think uh, it's never just about the capital. It's, it's about everything else. Mm -hmm. You only learn that, though, once you've gone through the process a few times, unfortunately. Or fortunately. Um, we've always been a very much a relationship-based company. That's just how we operate. And, and we need to operate like that because we work with utilities that are extremely relationship-based. Our sales cycle is anywhere from 12 months to 24 months. Mm -hmm. And so we really took that same approach when we started looking at investors we wanted to bring on. Who could we build a relationship with that would last a very long time? Because you're, you're not dating, you're getting married. And, 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 uh, it's, and, and, and it's, a, it's a very difficult marriage to dissolve. And not, not, no one really wants to dissolve that marriage unless it's a successful exit. And at that point, everyone wants to dissolve it because we've all made some, finally we've made some money, right? Um, so to your question, I think for us, the, it came down to three, three criteria. Number one is, is there a relationship here? And, and is there a relationship with someone who understands our business and understands found, uh, what, what founders go through? Um, so is there a founder investor fit, the way we look at it? You know, you talk a lot about product market fit. I like to look at it, is there a founder investor fit? So that's the first thing we look at. The second thing we look at it, is this a strategic investor or not? And by strategic, I mean, can they really help accelerate your business? 
do they have the operational expertise or do they have the networks in place that will allow you, that will enable you to do that. And then the third thing I look at is do they have the ability to follow on? Because as you continue to raise, you really want to have that confidence that your new investors want to see your existing investors follow on because there's a confidence level there that they really believe in what you're doing and, and they want to be in it for the ride for all the way through. So those are the three buckets we looked at when we started choosing investors. Uh, and we're getting more and more uh, specific as we raise more money because now we have a much better, when you, when you start your business, you have no, real, you have no idea of what you need uh, until you've done it a few times over. Uh, and, and, and I think we've got a much more better, I think we have a stronger understanding now of what we need to get to the next stage than we did when we first started. So, you know, obviously you, you'll, those selections criteria change over time, but I think with those buckets in mind is how we make our decisions. Uh, it's very interesting. Thanks, thanks, thanks for sharing that in-depth uh, perspective on that. Um, I cut you off before, I apologize. I, I think the next question or the one that you were, you were going to get to was around you got the money, how do you now, how did you allocate it? How did you distribute it? How did you know what would be a good investment from a capital expenditure side that would have a good ROI? How did you do that analysis throughout these different rounds? Yeah, and again, uh, the way I look at this is going back to at what round are you raising? So let's take it very personal to us. When we, when we raised our first round, which was the pre-seed, it was purely to go ahead and develop our product. We already had a list of utilities, in our case, that we knew we could run pilots with. We had signed letters of intents to go. Um, we knew there was a revenue pipeline we could leverage, but we needed the product. So the pre-seed was purely, let's get this product, let's get an MVP, let's get pilots, let's start getting some revenues in. When we raised our seed round, um, it was really to build our go-to-market strategy because we knew now the pilots were going to uh, successfully transition into longer-term contracts. Mm. And so what do you need to do to go to market? I think the first thing is make sure your product is, is repeatable and scalable and, and, and try to, try to um, demystify the product market fit and, 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 and put that in quotations because that's really a difficult one and it takes you a lot of reiterations to get there. And, and, and in many cases, you never really get there. You get to some elements of product market fit and that's how I like to see it. And that's how I like to say it. I don't think you ever truly have full product market fit. I think you've got elements of product market fit that keep getting stronger and stronger as you go through evolution as a startup. And, and uh, so that was one aspect of it for the seed round. The second aspect of it was how do you transition from a founder-led sales model, which was very much myself, to a sales team. And that's why you're raising seed, to showcase there's repeatability and scalability in the process. And the lastly for us was um, how do we break into the U.S. market? So when we raised our seed round, we had a number of Canadian utility customers. We didn't have any U.S. utility customers. And our focus was, before we do the next raise, we want to get a, a, a good amount of, of U.S. customers, which we were successfully able to do. 70% of our customers now, our utility customers are now in the U.S. And so that's when we did the seed. If I look at Series A, it's really putting oil on the fire. It's, it's purely scaling up your sales and marketing engine, accelerating the repeatability and, and, and the exponential growth. Mm -hmm. For us, it's getting into Europe. We're starting, as I mentioned, we've got our first utility um, customer in Europe now that we're starting to work with. And it's really looking at markets above and beyond the US because we're seeing a lot of demand there. And so, you know, the, the way I answer that question is, is it depends on what stage of, of, uh, of, of the cycle you are in when you're raising is how 
to best utilize the funds. Very interesting. Throughout the process that you went through, Nishant, with some of the investors, um, I'm sure during these conversations, you know, you built some good relationships and some maybe some bad ones that came out or some things that you're like, holy shit, kind of moment, like this is something I want to pass down to the next founder when they're going through this process. Is there anything you could share in terms of like how to build a good investor relationship? Yeah, man. Um, as I mentioned, it's, 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 it's a marriage, right? Um, again, I think, I think the elements of building trust, you know, it's, it's, it's really a, it's a trusted relationship. The, mm -hmm. as, as a founder, uh, who's, who's got money from the, from investors, who's investor backed, you're morally, you're ethically, um, bound to take care of the money that's been given to you. And you owe that to you. And I think when investors see that, when they see a full level of transparency, when you're able to keep them in the loop with what's going well, but what's not going well, more importantly, what's not going well. And when you're able to bring them in to help advise in scenarios that you do not know enough of, I think that trust. So, you know, how do you manage those relationships? I, I always say it's better to over-communicate than under-communicate. And, and, and if anything, COVID has taught. I'll go back to you, Aram. You are in Barcelona. You've got a team in Canada. Mm -hmm. It's all about communication. In fact, it's about over-communicating, especially in the virtual setting. And yeah. if we can apply that now to every most difficult to do, uh, but I think that's been the, the, the ethos of our relationship with our, with our board, with our investors, is how do we over communicate and, and keep them in the loop with what's going on? How do we let them know? Um, uh, how, do you, how do you deliver on what you say you're going to do and make sure you do it? And if you're not able to deliver, you don't save that for the board meeting. You ensure that everyone on your board understands that you are not able to hit those targets or those expectations. This is why, and this is what we're going to do about it. Because no one's expecting you to hit your targets every quarter. What they're expecting you to do is to let them know if you're not and cost correct. Mm -hmm. And if you are, talk about, well, what does this mean going into the next quarter? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think for me, if there's any, anything you can distill from, from managing an investor relationship, I think it is the ability to just be transparent, the ability to over communicate and the, and, and, and to understand that you are morally and you are ethically responsible for the money that has been given to you and to hold that with utmost of, um, uh, of, of a priority. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I love the over-communicating part and something that I always hammer, 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 hammer into everybody in the team, especially well, now that we're kids. all remote. You've got three kids and kids are incredible at over-communicating. Wow. You sort of lose that <laughs> as you get older, but I mean, if, if they don't like something, they'll be the first ones to tell you they don't like it. That's and right. they'll make sure you know about it over and over again until you do something about it. Yeah, yeah that's very true. Um, you touched upon this um, in different kind of points you brought up. During, during going from pre-seed to seed to series A <clears throat> and the investors that you had participate, talent is always something that's very difficult to find, to acquire. Um, 
how did your investors kind of help you during that process of hiring senior leaders? Because obviously when you're growing and you um, need to allocate some of that capital, bringing on good senior experienced leaders is one of the things that, you know, they're going to be requesting. How did you, how did you go through that process with your investors and then did they help you find some? Um, and how was hiring in general for the senior leadership team that you have? Yeah, you know, we've gone through all sorts of channels um, to get team members on um, and to get coworkers on. We've gone through recruiters. Uh, we've gone through, uh, um, uh, I guess, uh, recruiters that we brought on to the team that we've paid on a contractual basis. Uh, we've leveraged our board uh, where we can. Um, where we've been, again, fortunate about, uh, and maybe unique to us, is we, we come from a space that's very incestual. In the utility space, if you're in the utility space, you tend not to leave the utility space, either on the selling vendor side or on the utility side itself. Um, so the way we brought on uh, our senior team uh, is, is twofold. A is we've, we've seeked out people that have great experience in the utility world that we've come across. and. And, and they've heard about us and vice versa, and, and, and there's been synergy for them to join us. Uh, the second thing we've done is we've actually had some of our clients, some of our champions on our client side that have ventured to, as what I call the dark side of the world, and come to us, which is the best kind of hire you wanna have, right? Because they've actually been in a, in a, in a, in a, in a process where they have gone through the decisions of uh, licensing your product. Yeah. Um, and they've, they've understood what that entails and they've, they've made that budgetary commitment to it. They've implemented it. They've seen the success of it. And now they're coming to join you so they can talk about it and they can evangelize it and they can go get their peers, but they're part of your team and it brings so much credibility to you. Um, you know, as, as we now get into our series A raise and we complete that, we're starting to talk to a lot of strategic investors who are very much in our space. Mm-hmm. And I think there we'll be able to leverage more on leveraging them to pinpoint us to the, to the right executives we can continue to bring on. Um, but what I've found, at least our trajectory over the last couple of years, is where we've had uh, senior executives approach us, which is kind of nice. We've never had mm-hmm. that in the past. But, you know, as we've got more client wins, we're really strong on getting, some, getting PR out there. We're really strong on leveraging client successes. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to have some really interesting and strategic uh, uh, co-workers come to us and say, hey, we'd like to be part of your team. And, and that's really helped the hiring process. But what you, what the question you asked is a difficult one regardless. HR hiring is extremely hard. Um, you sometimes get it right. Many times you don't um, because we've got a long sales cycle. Uh, and, you know, it takes us a while before we can understand whether the, the, the leaders we're hiring are effective or not. Um, and, you know, I wish there was more of a science to it. I'm sure there is. We are discovering it along the way. If you have any insights, you know, that's another, that's another podcast for you and I. Um, you know, but we've, we've found the transition for us where instead of us seeking, we're starting to get uh, individuals who are coming to us. And, and that's, that's been a, a turnaround for us. You're very, you're very fortunate. I think you're right. The, the best kind of talent to acquire is one that come from your own industry where they loved your product so much that they're like, I'm going to get jump ship and join this, this rocket ship. Right. Um, so that's, that's, 
you're, you're good there. It doesn't happen for everybody. You know, I, I, I look at it two ways. Either they come to us or they go to another utility and they implement us there. So it's, it's, it's building <laughs> champions and, and we're really strong at doing this. I'm a big believer at it. So that's a great secret. Build your champions across each of your clients and, and build those champions to be so strong that uh, when they decide to move on, either they're coming over to you or they're going in to another utility and taking you with them. So now you've just doubled your client base, right? Because you've got, you've got two for the price of one. Yeah. Uh, for the lack of a better word, but we've been really strong in, in being able to do that, and we really focus on doing that. That's amazing. Um, you you mentioned this uh, as well. Um, you said in your pre-seed, you decided to raise money there, not do a bootstrap, because you have kids, and so did and so does your co-founder, right? Just like you know me. Um, how did your investors feel, or you know, what can you share to other founders who are in the same boat? in the sense that they have families and um, you know they might need to take a salary because they've been bootstrapping it or like they know that they just can't sustain themselves without a salary coming in and um it's a, sometimes it could be a difficult question to ask investors saying you know what it's, it's our pre-seed but like i'm going to be taking a salary any way that to format that type of ask or anything like that <laughs> listen it's a, it's a really difficult question because it's a very emotional question Right. And any question that's based on so much emotional emotion is hard. Um, you know, I, I, I can speak to it personally. So I, I think the first part of the question is what's my perspective on it? I think it again, depends on it's a relative question. It depends on the kind of business you have. It depends on why you are raising that money. It depends on what the ex exit potential of that business is how exponentially can you grow it? And what, what's, that, what's that TAM? What's the total addressable market you're going after? Depends on what stage of your life you're in, right? Uh, but most importantly, it also depends on the opportunity cost. What are you giving up in terms of a corporate salary to start your business? So I think that's a very relative question and it's very unique to, 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 to many people, right? Are you, are you 20 years old who can afford to live on on, on, on ramen noodles, or are you in your mid forties with, with the family and with the mortgage and, and with, with the completely different lifestyle, um, right? Where are you and, and why are you doing what you're doing? I think that's the first, that's the first question. Uh, for us, um, I, my belief on it is as investors, as investors, you want your founders and your entrepreneurs to be 100% laser focused on growing this business and growing it exponentially as fast as they can, as opposed to worrying about how are they gonna put food on the table? Because you can't do both. You can't be laser focused on growing a business and at the same time have to worry about putting food on your table, especially when you're going out to investors and you wanna be venture backed. So it's having a fine balance between the, between the two. You know, to your example, do you wanna bootstrap it or do you wanna go raise? I mean. If you're bootstrapping it, you're keeping equity. If you're going ahead and doing a raise, pre-seed raise, you're giving up equity. So either way, you're giving something up. Either way, you're giving something up, right? It's a matter of what that trade-off is and what, where that trade-off makes sense, right? For us, we were very clear that this is large exit potential for us. We knew that we needed to raise to grow exponentially. We knew exactly why we needed to raise. We also knew what we needed to make to 
to provide a family with, 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 with food and, and, and not have to worry about living paycheck to paycheck, but at the same time, give up quite a bit as opposed to if you're working a corporate job. Um, and, and, and we knew what the trade-offs were, which was giving up equity to do that. And, and that's the trade-off we decided to make. Is it a right decision? Is it a wrong decision? I think it purely depends on, um, on where you want to be uh, uh, and, and where you see yourself as a business. Uh, I think what's important is to evaluate that and to, and to understand what makes the most sense for you, right? Um, so my take on, on founders uh, uh, taking a salary is, A, are you bootstrapped? A, are you venture-backed? If you're venture-backed, then I believe you're giving up equity uh, to, to be able to sustain yourself and grow the company. Um, and if you're bootstrapped, well, then you're keeping the equity. And so you're taking on a different kind of pain. Either way, you take pain. There's pain to be had both ways. It's just a question of which way you want to take it. No matter what way you look at it, there's some compromise that has to be made somewhere, right? Um, on that note, last question for you, Nishant. Thank you so much for all your answers. Um, you've gone through a lot. You've, you've kind of tried, succeeded, maybe failed in different things. What would you say has been the biggest risk that you've, you've taken from a business perspective to date? You know, there's so many, right? Uh, from, from a startup entrepreneurial perspective, you're literally taking risks on a regular basis. I think COVID was a big one for all of us, right? That, that, that was a risk that was unforeseen. And, and we really had to figure out all of us, including yourself, how to manage our business, how to keep our team whole, how to grow from that. But to me, if I really go back in this journey, the biggest risk for, for, for myself, and I, and I think for my co-founder as well, was just the ability for us to get started. We were doing really well in our, in our, in our careers. We were making a lot of money. Um, you know, I relocated, uh, my co-founder relocated his entire family to come to Toronto from Amsterdam. You know, he had two, two kids and pregnant with his third child at that time. I had two little ones. Um, all we had was a business idea. Uh, and we gave up our jobs for it. And, and, we, and we ended up validating that idea and, and, and raising money. Now, we were very fortunate to do that in, in, in two months. Uh, we were very fortunate to get the investors we had that believed in us and that were able to back us because all we had was that business idea and a plan and, and, and we had validated the idea. Um, uh, and it worked for us. That to me was the biggest risk. But I mean, what's your alternative? Your alternative is you can always go back and work and get a job. So is it really a risk? You know, if you can sustain yourself, is it really a risk? I think the risk is not doing it because then you never know. Yeah. And that's how I evaluate risk, right? The, 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 the risk is not doing it. So you never, so, uh, so for us, it was definitely the right, right moment and, and, and we made it happen. Um, and as you do that, our pure focus now is to continue to de-risk the business. So as you go and raise every round, your pure focus is how do I continually de-risk my business so I can go raise more money, so I can continue to grow exponentially, so I can ensure that, you know, ensure, but really try to orchestrate an eventual exit for everyone concerned and, have, and truly have impact. Because at the end of the day, it's all about having that impact in the startup that you're running. Yeah. I, I, I love, I'm probably going to use that quite a bit, Nishant, what you said about if you don't go and start a business, that is a risk in itself, right? You're, you're missing out there. I'll, uh, 
I love that. I'll, I'll repurpose that. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you with the, with the final thought because I think it's a fitting thought, uh, you know, for your audiences, I hope. And then there's, a, there's an analogy that I'm getting to like a lot and I heard it a while ago. Um, I guess two, two analogies. One is on entrepreneurship and one is on fundraising. And then I'll leave you with that. Uh, so two for the price of one. Uh, the first one, entrepreneurship, is how do you know when an entrepreneur is dead? The day they stop pitching and selling, right? Because you're always selling. That's just that's just what you have to do. You're either selling your product, you're either selling yourself, you're either selling your company, or you're selling your stock. You're always selling. But the second analogy is, uh, uh, and perhaps this more, more will resonate even more, is uh, the entrepreneur goes to the VC and says, listen, I, I, I want the cash. I want the capital. And the VC says, screw the cash and capital. I'll give that to you. I want the terms. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think for founders, it's, 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 you've got to really realize that everything comes with terms and comes with the cost. And it's the ability to understand what you're able to bear and what you're not able to bear. And, yeah. and, the, and, and that's why accelerators are great. That's why talking to other founders are great. That's why talking to other investors are great. So, you know, if there's any advice I can leave any founders with as they go embark on this journey uh, is, is just understand the terms and just make sure that you can live with the terms because those terms will stay with you throughout your startup journey. Wow. That has been amazing. Thank you so much, Nishant, for all your wisdom, your knowledge that you just shared with us. So I really appreciate you participating. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. That was a lot of fun. And, and, yeah, and you're, after nine shows, you're a natural. So I can't wait to see <laughs> this, this process scale up. So, you know, thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And uh, thank you to everyone who's listening and going to continue listening. Uh, this was another record, another episode of Off the Record. Uh, just to recap, it's a podcast with the goal to build a community of founders and VCs around it so that they can help each other make better businesses together. So thanks again and stay tuned for the next episode. We are proud.